Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 854. Don't waste your time disliking things or people. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, William Edgar. Hey, William, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark, and it's going to be a good one, I hope, and not too many bad corners or slow straights. Well, we'll keep it on the track and out of the guardrails, as I say. William Edgar owns Edgar Motorsports, and he has been an automotive photographer, a journalist, and an author since 1968. He was born the son of a 1930s outboard hydroplane pilot and legendary sports car racing team owner, John Edgar. William was on the ground in a time to witness the fabulous 50s golden age of sports car races that included places like Palm Springs, Santa Barbara, Torrey Pines, Golden Gate Park, and the GP track his father's financing built, Riverside International Raceway. William has made historical films and worked in live action television documentaries with racers including Mario Andretti, Sam Posey, David Hobbs, and many, many others. He also earned the Dean Bachelor Award for his book, American Sports Car Racing in the 1950s, that proudly sits in my library, co-authored by Michael T. Lynch, who's a past guest here on Cars Yeah, and Ron Paravano. No doubt you've read his prize-winning stories and seen his photographs featured in hundreds of magazines around the world. So, William, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I grew up with automobiles, of course. My father always had uh, great cars, and one of the earliest ones I remember was a Ford A12 that I sat in as a child of maybe three or four years old and looked at the uh, the, uh, machine turning on the dashboard and was fascinated by that. Yeah. And, you know, it went on from there. I was... uh, Brought up around cars. My father always loved them. He drove Stutz Bearcat when he was uh, young, and he had a Ford uh, hot rod kind of in the late 1920s. And and, uh, so, you know, it just was in my blood. And when he got into racing as a team owner in the late 1940s, early 50s, and on through the 50s, I was always there and, and really enjoyed what he was doing and what the other cars and drivers were doing. So I just, uh, at that point, figured it would be uh, something that I've always had in my life. No doubt that was a heavy influence on you and has stuck with you all these many, many years. But as we continue on your journey, we're going to learn more about you. And I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, William, take the wheel. Gosh, be yourself. Be true to yourself, I guess, Uh I went to Harvard Military School, and their motto there was, this of all, of all to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night, the day, thou canst not be false to any man. So I try to do that, and I think that's a good way to keep yourself in tune with yourself and also in good stead with, with other people that you deal with. Absolutely. Well, give us a, an idea of how you've incorporated that mantra, which is awesome, into some of the many things you've done in your career. Well, in the uh, magazine articles that I write, I like to always 
go for the people. The cars are there, of course. That's one of the main ideas of the of the article. But the, the people are so important to me. And if you are true to yourself and what you believe is uh, a good story, you can do that with the people that you deal with. Absolutely. You know, that's a reoccurring theme here at Cars. Yeah, this is a show about cars, but it always, always, always goes back to the people and the relationships and the stories about the people around the cars. That's where it always ends up. Well, growing up in a family with John Edgar as your family, this next question is almost silly for me to ask, but I always ask people how they were influenced, or I should say, what instigated their passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were going to somewhat follow in your father's footsteps with his passion for cars? Gosh, there were probably a lot of pivotal moments. (laughs) Maybe, what can I say? Well, yes. I learned to drive in a Bugatti Type 57C drophead coupe. Whoa. And a right-hand drive crash gearbox. It's kind of an odd thing for a kid of 14 to, uh, yes. to learn how to drive a car in, but uh, that was it. And it, and that car, it's in my genes today, even. I, I love the car. We had it as a family driver for 10 years, uh-huh. and it was um, something that we all enjoyed, and I hated to see it go when it did go, but it went to somebody I don't know who. Well, I don't know anybody who can say they learned how to drive a car in a car like that. I mean, <laughs> that is, that's pretty impressive. And yeah, stuff like that sticks with you as you're or a kid, of course. And, uh, man, man, what an experience. Well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down, William. And I'd love for you to talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way. Now, a guy like you who's been doing this for as long as you've been doing it, certainly there's some bumpy roads along the way. But the most important part of this question is, what did that experience teach you? So kind of walk us through whatever that was and tell us how that helped you gain even more momentum as you came out of the better side of that situation. Well, For 30 years, I was a documentary filmmaker, and I really enjoyed that. I did a lot of films, maybe 300 films. Wow. And I gave that up, which was very lucrative, uh, for the very iffy exploits of self-generated print journalism. Mm -hmm. I no longer wanted to spend uh, most of my time putting film uh, film crews together. And uh, the long, long hours in the editing rooms afterwards. So I figured if I could just settle in on something that I alone would do, well, not entirely alone, because I would have the the people I was doing the story about, naturally. Mm. I would do the photography. I'd do the writing. And then um, it it was just a better deal for me to get out of that kind of hassle of making films even though I still love them and and, uh, will never regret having done it. Now, how old were you when you made that big pivot in your career? Oh, gosh, about, uh, I would say, 50, 55. Okay, so that's a a pretty late time in someone's career to make a big change because most people in their 50s are kind of set in. They go, okay, I've got another 10 years here, and then I'm going to retire, whatever retirement means. But you did a major shift in what you're going to do. took all that, uh, I guess, somewhat financial security away into an area that maybe wasn't as secure. But what was the, the driving reason other than you said getting out of all that hassle? Was there just something that looked more appealing to you in writing? 
think it was a more one-on-one situation that I had created for myself by going into print journalism. With the film crew, you've got the cameramen, you've got sound people, you've got clients to, to deal with. Print journalism, you're, you're kind of on a one-to-one basis, and I like that. Ah, okay. That makes sense. I understand. What was the biggest challenge at the time that you made that pivot for you? What was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome? Gee, just getting over the, the thrill of making a film, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> because yeah. it was it was very stimulating. Yeah, absolutely. And you worked with some pretty amazing people as well, so getting to interact with those folks. But I understand filmmaking is very complex, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that can go wrong or right or a combination thereof. So, wow, well, that's quite a change in your career path at an age that most people would never dare step out of a comfort zone. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the other end of the spectrum, though, maybe a career aha moment. And maybe that was part of that moment, or maybe there was something else you'd like to share but what was your career aha moment? Well, my career to filmmaking and, and print journalism share one thing in common. It's writing. So I think that my aha moment, as you like to call it, might have been on a troop ship on the way to Korea. Oh, wow. I was reading oh, wow. uh, William Saroyan's short stories uh, on the deck. It was The Daring Young Man on the Flying Trapeze. And as I read, I was so taken by what you could do with words, that I did an odd thing. It was an old paperback. Uh, all the pages were yellowed. So as I read each page, I, I kind of lifted it off the spine and let it go away in the breeze. <laughs> and it trailed off into the wake of the ship. Six years later, I, I met Saroyan and told him the story of my toss, uh, you know, tossing the pages uh, into the Pacific wind. And, and he thought that was really cool. He didn't say cool because... I don't know whether people were saying cool. But this was at USC. This was at USC in 1961, and uh, where I was studying to become a filmmaker. So he stared at me for a long time, and then he wrote in the book that he was hawking that day to William Edgar, who will write, I think, William Saroyan, and I did. <laughs> and the energy to do that came from that, and it's still there. I still use that energy to to go from one story to another. You know, you painted a very nice picture there, which goes back to your filmmaking days. I can picture this young man on the deck of a ship going across the Pacific and these pages fluttering off into the ocean breeze. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I just saw the whole thing right there flash before my eyes. I saw how the whole shot was done, the pan, the move, the zoom, everything. So you painted a nice picture for me. Well, how about a Prouder's career moment? I would assume you've had so many, you've done so much over the years, but is there one that really stands out that you'd walk us through? Gosh, uh, first place, I'm not very fond of the word proud. I much prefer pleased. Ah, okay. And I think I was most pleased with being able to keep the ridiculous pace going, making the, the series of six racing specials I did for CBS called Once Upon a Wheel. And it was a spinoff from the Paul Newman special of the same title that I wrote and supervised in post-production. And that played into the following year's writing of all episodes of ABC's championship auto racing series produced by two separate companies, ABC Sports and a Sedaris company with a great late friend, Emmy-winning sports director Andy Sedera. So I think I'm very proud to have made that leap into what my first career was. 
Again, you've worked with some amazing people. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. You you talked about learning to drive in an old Bugatti, which is incredible. But is there a car that you purchased that was a first purchase for you that had some great memories that you could share with us? I don't really have a passion for so-called special cars, really. I've never collected cars. My father never collected cars. He had them for either road use or racing. Mm -hmm. Bang them up. You win with them, you get another one. The one I've personally enjoyed most is the 1999 Mazda 10th Anniversary Edition MX-5 Miata that my wife and I bought 20 years ago. It's stock, it's a two-seater, it's a six-speed sports car with manual rag top that goes up and down in five seconds. It's great fun to drive and it's cheap to repair. That's my real special car. Very cool. I remember when the first Miata came out, I worked with a guy who bought one, and he let me drive it. We went to lunch one day, and I thought, man, this is a really fun little car. And since then, I've talked to a lot of people who race Miatas. There's a lot of spec Miata racing, a lot of people who've owned Miatas. And yeah, they're just fun, fun little cars. Now, do you still have that vehicle? I do. Wow. I do. <laughs> That's and, uh, we, we drive it a couple of times a week. We live over by the coast in Marin County, and go through the coastal hills and along the shore and just just love it. The special cars um, that uh, people usually think about are the Ferraris and Maseratis and Porsches that uh, were of the period and that my father owned. I was around those all the time, but they weren't mine. And when he got through with them, uh, they were sold off. Yeah, exactly. Well, how, speaking of selling off cars, is there a seller's remorse story in your life? Or is there a car you've owned that you really wish you had back? I never really had such, but I guess, uh, you know, cars come and go and, and, and they serve their own time and purpose. I had a, a 356 1600 SC Porsche. Nice. It was stolen 29 days after I got it. Oh, no. Parted out in Mexico, I found out. Oh, uh. And I also sold a 911 that I probably should not have sold. Uh-huh. But they were here and gone, and, you know, that that's it. I, I don't sit around thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I have to be, uh, you have to look forward, that's for sure. But, oh, those are two cars that are near and dear to my heart. My listeners know I love Porsches and 356s. I've always wanted one. They just seem to keep getting more and more expensive of late, and I've had plenty of 911s, including many I've sold that I wish I had back. Ah, two fun cars. Well, during my father's years, if I can just add something about Porsche here. Sure. Um, he had a total of three 550 Spiders. Oh. And I wanted, I wanted like anything to be able to drive one of those. But uh, yeah. his reply was that, uh, can you drive it as well as Jack McAfee or Pete Lovely? <laughs> and I said, no, I rather doubt that. And he says, okay. Question answered. <laughs> Ouch. Thanks a lot, Dad. Oh, Pete Lovely. Yeah, Pete Lovely uh, lived up here in the Pacific Northwest. I knew Pete when he was with us. In fact, I employed one of his daughters for a while at a company I was part of. Used to love to spend some time in Pete's shop back when uh, he worked with Butch Dennison. Of course, Butch now owns the shop called Dennison International. Yeah, Pete has some pretty cool cars. He had a whole barn full of cool cars. So uh, Pete is just one of my most favorite people ever, and I've written a number of stories about him. And I just hated to see him go, but... Yeah, do I guess? Yeah, yeah. He had a full, rich life, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. I'd love for you to explain a little more about Edgar Motorsports to our listeners, and also what kind of things are you working on these days that has you very excited and fired up? Well, Edgar Motorsport, and it's singular, not sports, 
is uh, an archive and a, a blog, a website, whatever you want to call it, that, that I began uh, oh, about 20, 25 years ago. But before that, it was uh, an extension of the picture collection that my father started back in, in the period of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So I have a huge, vast amount, number of, of really excellent photographs from the 1960s, both black and white in color that, that he shot, that, that Lester and Hampton shot, that I shot. Um, I shot with my, believe it or not, my brownie reflex camera <laughs> up until the time I went to Korea, and my father sent me a, a Retina 2 Kodak camera, 35 millimeter. Wow. So, and I've published those old brownie shots a number of times. It's, it's uh, funny. But anyway, the, the, the archive is, is uh, as I say, a vast collection of photographs, and it also is kind of a home base for, for me and my writing in present print journalism days. So is there a site that our listeners can go to and find images that they can purchase for use from you for all sorts of reasons? They certainly can. In fact, I just had an order for two photographs from someone in Miami, uh, and uh, I'm getting those into the mail tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, my website is uh, www.edgarmotorsport, all one word, .com. There's a lot of pages there and a lot of photographs and, and a good place to, to get in touch with me through my Gmail uh, email account. Absolutely. I remind our listeners that there'll be a show notes page for William on the Cars yeah! website, and I'll put a link to his website. You should really check it out. Go there. Look at all the cool photos. The history there is absolutely fantastic, all from a guy who's been around for a long time dealing with cars and people and racers and all the fun things that uh, go with that. So are there any great projects you're working on right now that have you really excited and fired up? Carol Shelby was a huge factor and friend and force in my life. Uh, I knew him for 56 years. He started driving cars for my father back in 1956 uh, when he immediately won uh, the Seafair race in Seattle with a 410 Sport, and he drove and drove and drove for my father for several years after that. And during that period... We became great friends through the years, uh, friendships that included, you know, partying and and drinking together and having conversations and going to places together. I hated to see him go. As he said, I'm not going to go flat until I'm ready. What I'm doing now is I'm writing a book about old Shell. Nice. Shelby. Carol Shelby, the one and only. And it's uh, a very different approach compared to all that has been written about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't really talk about it. It's something that, you know, when you're doing it, you don't want to talk about it. Sure. So I'm sure that uh, he would like it. And I hope a lot of his fans like it too. Do you have any kind of a publication date planned for that right now? Uh, no, I don't. It'll probably be sometime uh, early next year. All right. Well, you let me know when that book comes out. We'll have you back on the show. We'll talk about it. Maybe we can give a copy away to one of our lucky subscribers here on Cars Yeah, like I do all the time. But I can't wait to uh, get a, hand, a copy of that book in my hand. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Very exciting. Well, it, it'll be unusual. It's, uh, I, can, I can say that much about it. Very cool. That's great. Can't wait for that. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, William. If you were a car, what kind of car would William be and why? 
Oh, boy. Nothing exotic. I think maybe the best answer for that is a military Willis MB Korean War era Jeep. Oh, wow. Okay. Able to go anywhere off or on the main street road of life. Yeah. Is it just like you saw in MASH, you know, like uh-huh. those I worked on in the Air Force during my year in Korea, South Korea, I must say. I would be a Jeep, I guess. I like that answer. Very nice. You put some thought into that. Probably unusual to hear that. Well, it is a bit unusual for sure, but uh, it makes sense to me for a guy who's been there, done that, uh, can go anywhere, able to handle just about anything. So I like that very much. Well, William, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that Milkmobile's interior. Hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, William, we are back, and we're entering what I call the last lap. You've been around plenty of racetracks to know what that means. The white flag's out. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I would say from my father when I was 14. He came into the room and said, it's about time you learn how to ride a motorcycle. (laughs) Nice. And that was... Something that none of my friends would hear from their fathers. No, no, absolutely not. Do you remember what kind of bike he put you on? Absolutely, a Triumph Tiger 100, 500cc. Whoa, now that's a bike to... <laughs> it had an engine built by Ed Escuderian. Oh, wow. It burned uh, half gas and half benzol, and it was torrid. Oh, my gosh, that's insane. <laughs> 
That's just crazy. Yeah. Eski's been a guest here on Cars. Yeah. He was on the show about three weeks ago. What a, what a, what a treasure uh, that guy is. And the cam master is the best. Yeah. I tell you, but yeah. to throw a kid on a bike like that, I mean, put, it makes me feel like a wimp. My first motorcycle was a Honda Trail 70. So <laughs> you definitely blew my doors off. That's for sure. Wow. That is pretty cool. Once I learned on the Tiger, I was, it was given a Mustang. Mustang. For my motorcycle. Remember those? No, I don't. You probably don't remember them because they they were a long time ago. Yeah, a Mustang. Uh, it was kind of a cross between a scooter and a motorcycle. Okay. And it had solid uh, disc wheels, and I think it was a 19 cubic inch engine. And it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. After that, I graduated to uh, an aerial square four. And then when my father uh, had the uh, Vincent company in England build the uh, the record-breaking uh, Black Lightning that he took to Bonneville and had a really free ride, uh, I would often uh, uh, sneak into the garage and steal a ride on that one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> after after it was uh, detuned for street, that is. Yeah, I would think so. Oh, my gosh. You are having fun, that's for sure. Thanks. Well, how about, a, oh, man, how about a personal habit that you believe you has helped you contribute to your successes? I guess going down to the wire on deadlines, mm -hmm. it sharpens the focus and trims out the excess in a story, and it really puts you there on the line. Either make it or you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Now about a resource, there's lots of great resources out there these days, but is there one that you'd like to share with the Garcia audience? Uh, resources, I guess your own memory of how things were. I remember... What I always liked about Hemingway, he talked about having a sense of sense. Mm. And I think that's very important. Yeah. And if you can have that sense of sense, you've got a major part of the uh, task licked, I think. Now, here's a big question for you. If you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would that person be? The Flying Mantuan, Tazio Bellari. Whoa. Now, there's a unique answer. <laughs> Tell me why. Oh, well, I just, you know, when I wrote the story on, on John Shirley's P3, Tasio drove that in 1935 to beat all the, the silver arrows and win uh, the 1935 German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Mm -hmm. Made Hitler furious, of course, and it was just a huge, huge accomplishment for not only uh, Enzo Ferrari and, and his theory of Ferrari, entry, but also Nuvolari. I mean, it was just the best ever. I've had the luxury of sitting in John's car, the car you're talking about, and spending some time with it, photographing it. And I never forget climbing into that thing and sitting there and just trying to imagine racing that thing back in the day. I, I can't come close, but wow. Yeah, that is a very, very special car. And it's cool that John to this day still takes that thing out on the track. So, Well, there was a great tagline to that story about... Uh, Nobody seemed to have the Italian national anthem to play when he won because no one expected him to win. <laughs> but he had his own copy of it, ah. the Marcia Reale. Uh -huh. And he pulled that out of some case that he had in his in his kit, and they played that with the swastikas flapping over the <laughs> over the uh, bleachers and, and 300,000 people there. It was just the, the finest moment ever. 
Well, yeah, I kind of like when Jesse Owens won all those events at the Olympics. Exactly. Despite the uh, the Germans at the time. So, yeah, very nice. Well, how about a book that you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy? Is there one you'd like to share? It's hard to pin down. Uh, there are three books, really, that uh, I would say are outstanding in my estimate. Mm-hmm. That's Sam Posey's The Mudge, Mudge Pond Express. Yes. Ken Purdy's Kings of the Road. And, and Jackie Stewart's Faster that he wrote with Peter Mann. So I've done a lot of work with, with Stuart and, and also with, with uh, Posey. I knew uh, Ken briefly at, at the time when, when he was writing for Sports Illustrated. But I think uh, Posey's book, and it, it's a thing that, you know, if, if you had to put them on a podium, who would have the top step? I don't know. It'd have to be a rotation Yes, between yeah. those three books. Yeah, those are awesome books. All of those are in my library. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great resources that William has shared with us today on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in William Edgar in the guest bar there. That page will pop up with links not only to his website, but uh, make quick, easy clicks to buy for these wonderful books if you have not read them and don't own, own them already. All right, William, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question... It can be a bit of a doozy for some people. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world today. It doesn't matter what it costs. Don't worry about that. But I want you to keep it, enjoy it, drive it, have some fun with it. What would that car be and why? Uh, buy me back the Bugatti. <laughs> the Bugatti you learned on? I, that's the one. I was and still am connected to that car. And, and, yeah. and we share the genes. It's, it was actually kind of a womb with wheels and engine, I think. <laughs> and uh, I would love to, to have the old uh, bug back. Uh, yeah. So r- remind us the year and model of that car. It was uh, it's quite a history to it. It was in the uh, French Pavilion in the New York World's Fair in 1939. It had a, uh, a, a coupe body on it at the time. It was bought by someone in the New England after the, the World's Fair and rebodied to the drophead configuration. And then put it in a barn. And Roger Barlow found the car in 1946. And chickens had roosted in it. Mm. All the upholstery mm. was uh, full of what chickens do. Yeah. And it was just a mess. Well, he put some tires on it and drove it to Los Angeles. And because he knew my father showed it to him, my father bought it for $2,000 and an old wheezy 41 Cadillac convertible. <laughs> So we did some work on it to uh, bring it back to near its uh, earlier life, but uh, didn't spend a whole lot and just drove the heck out of it. Oh, wow. Cool. And if we go back, do you know where that car is today? Any any idea? You know, uh, Jim Sitz had a had a had uh, some kind of a connection that uh, with the uh, Bugatti Club that uh, they located, or I think they located it, and uh, I'd have to... Uh, I, I'll post something on my website about that. that that's a good, good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I need to know where to buy it's that. It's still out there. You. It's out there. It's yeah. still out there. I'll bet. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was going to be a challenge for me, but I'll get to work on that for you. That's going to be fun. <laughs> William, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little better and learning more about your life and your stories around cars. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Would you give us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rumble off into the sunset in that drophead Bugatti? Gee, I guess don't waste your time disliking things or people. You know, stick with what you love. Ignore the rest. 
the times it's pretty hard to do. But that that's it. I mean, just focus, focus, focus. Yeah. Yeah, great words of wisdom from a guy who's been there and done that. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing these days? Uh, well, I, I gave you my website uh, address earlier mm -hmm. in the talk here. And what I am doing today, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing another article for Vintage Motorsport magazine. This one's on uh, Don Perdome and Tom McEwen when they were racing the Hot Wheels back in uh, 1971, and I did a film on them. So the story is about the experience of making that film with Don and Tom, and it's set in the period time of 1971, June of 1971, in Indiana and Michigan. Uh, that's fun. I've done a number of those uh, stories about films that I've made with people like Peter Revson and, and uh, Mario Andretti and, and Posey and Hobbs and, and uh, Bobby Allison and Bobby Azdik and uh, Dick Mann, and, you know, it goes on and on, but it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, when will that story come out? It'll be in the uh, hmm, November-December issue. Oh, coming up real soon here then. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Well, I subscribe to that fine magazine, so I look forward to reading your story. Well, listeners... You can find links to everything that William has shared again today on his Cars yeah show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in William Edgar. You will find his page with links. I would encourage you to check out his webpage, read his stories. Uh, it's going to take you back, and you're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. William, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars yeah listeners and with me. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. It's been great, Mark, and thank you very much. I hope uh, everybody enjoys what we've done today, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. Absolutely. Take care. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design, and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Cars Yeah!